Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday. It's the 127th day of the year, also known as May 7th, 2023. Turn with this immediately to 1 John chapter 4 as we jump right into Scripture. Say there as you are turning there. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Don't you just love the Word of God? Yes. You want to know how to recognize the Spirit of God? Here it is right here before you. Every spirit. Somebody say every spirit. Every spirit. That acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Don't you like that? Every spirit that acknowledges, that believes in this. Verse 3, but every spirit. Somebody say every spirit. Every spirit. That does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Thank you for making that so clear for people like me. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Wow. That just took a turn from every spirit to the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. See, we're not going to take time to focus on what's going on in the world, even though the spirit of the Antichrist is clearly present. If in the Apostle John's day, he was saying it's already here, it's already at work, how much more is it in our day? Can I tell you, though, that that's not the focus of this passage? Look at verse 4. In light of that, you, dear children, are from God. Praise the Lord. And have overcome them. You've overcome every spirit that is setting itself up against God, that is denying the Lordship of Christ, the very Antichrist spirit itself. You have overcome them. Somebody say, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. Man, isn't this a very, very different thing than what we want to engage? We want to read. Here's how I want to read it. I will overcome them. That's not what the Word of God says. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. If only we could know why we're able to overcome them. Oh, we'll just keep reading. Because... The one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Can somebody say hallelujah? You have the greater one inside of you, abiding in you, strengthening you, empowering you. That means that you already have overcome the world. I love this. Uh, as Pastor Wade is saying this, I'm, I'm being moved because it's, it's one thing to, to hear a passage. It's one thing to, to nod our heads. It's another to completely believe that the one who is from eternity, the one who is everlasting, the ancient of days, that king is the king that is inside of Steve Thomas. That king is the king that is inside of Nick Rosales. See, it doesn't matter what we have to face. It doesn't matter what's out there. It doesn't matter what fear is swirling around. It doesn't matter because the one who is from the ancient of days, it literally says that in the book of Daniel, that he allows his son to approach him, that all glory, majesty, and power, authority belongs to him, and he has put his spirit inside of you, Caleb. That king, that king, that king is the one that's inside of you, and it causes you to be an overcomer. See, Elsie, we're going to get it today. Get it. See, the king is alive. See, that king is alive. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He is watching over Israel. He is watching over you. Yes, we are, gra we are grafted into his kingdom, and he loves us, LCM. 
We are overcomers. Man, I believe, Pastor. I believe, Red Phillips. And, somebody say and. And. I've, I've had uh, this week. Somebody say this week. This week. I've had some difficult moments. Can anybody relate to, with me? Some difficult moments where I know the truth of 1 John 4, but I didn't feel like I overcame. I didn't feel necessarily powerful, Justin Linton. I didn't really feel like a conqueror. You know what passed away? I just, I just felt off. I just felt off. Y'all feel me? Just feel off. Can anybody relate to Bam? Anybody just felt off? You're not even necessarily able to point to a certain thing. You're just, you know, I mean, like, like our family this week. We've had some pretty serious sickness in the Sutherland household. Some pretty serious, like, Lord, help me. I'm going to die if I cough this hard again. So it made us as a household feel off. You know, off, like off balance. Like you're a little off base. Like we're a bit offbeat, kind of off course. Like you're singing off key. Like when your internet goes down and you're offline. When you get away from your notes and you go a little bit off cuff. Or maybe you get off the beaten path. You, you keep going with this and you realize uh, you might even get off the mark. But the truth is, is you've just been feeling off. Can anybody feel me? You have those days, you have those moments when things are just feeling off. Well, this leads us to the title of our message this morning. Y'all ready for the title? Off season. Somebody say off season. All right. So we had a few alls in the room like, Ooh, light bulb. I see what you do. Yeah. So we're going to help you with this because we're family. When we say off-season, we're not talking about the time between events. Like you're just waiting to, to show up on the scene and here I am. We're not talking about a time between now and some great battle that needs to take place. We're also not talking about the time between now and the One Association Conference. Another great event. What we are talking about is the times where you feel off, which can happen at any time, at any place, for no apparent reason, for any length of time. You just feel off. So what does that look like in Abimbola's life? Man. Hey, before you get going. Pastor Wade loves when Abimbola speaks about himself in third person. <laughs> um, Abimbola loves when Pastor Wade loves talking about, we're just having fun up here. So what does this look like in my life, right? So I'm teaching discipleship training. This is a real story with my brothers on Friday. We're, we're preaching, not preaching, we're teaching, Justin Linton. We're teaching on lesson 14, Holy Spirit encounter. Come on. Man, we hear a lesson like that, you're like, yes. Something's going to happen. God's presence is going to manifest. Well, we were excited to get together. We got together and we prayed. When I said we prayed, like it's not, it's not over a meal. 
We're not praying like, Lord, would you, would you move tonight? No, we are praying with fire, with passion, with everything that we have inside of us. And we felt God's glory in the room as we were, getting, as we were preparing to study. We had visions as we were praying. How incredible is that? And then we started to study. And as we started to study, I started getting cloudy. I felt like my discernment was just off. I just felt not there. Is my words landing? Am I connecting the points that we're, we're trying to, to minister tonight? It just, I can't really, I can't, I can't put my finger on why I just feel this way, Pastor. Come on, you guys can relate to this, can't you? What we're saying is even in the midst of godly people performing godly assignments, mere minutes after you've prayed and studied, you can feel off. You begin to question your own effectiveness about what God has called you to, your role, your place, your value. What are these things really trying to get at? They're trying to steal your confidence. Do you know that before you get up, before to preach in front of this kind of a group, the powerful men and women of God are in this, in this room, that you could be worried, I mean, hypothetically, about what you're about to do in a service. You're worried if God will speak through you well. You're worried if you're going to say the right things. You're kind of worried it as in a pretension. Everybody say pretension. Pretension. Then you get into the moment. God shows up. You are so very thankful. Immediately thereafter, you're thinking back about it and going, did I say that right? Was, man, I should, oh, I said it this way. I even said the wrong verse. I said this. And you start having a post-tension. <laughs> Before the event, I can feel off because I'm afraid. Then God empowers you. You love it. Life is good. After the event, I could feel off because now I'm lamenting, worried, fearful. I'm off whether I'm before the event or after. Wow. The off season that I'm having is something that I must deal with. And because I'm one of your pastors, I know that it's something that we must deal with. Amen. If you're going to wait to feel good all the time before you do something for the Lord, pardon my vernacular, you ain't never going to do nothing. I'm going to wait till I feel really, really good and really, really healthy before I stand up in front of the people. You know us. We're just going to put a chuck bucket right there and we're going to keep going. So we're going to learn how to walk confidently. Somebody say confidently. Confidently. As an overcomer, since you're already an overcomer, we're going to learn how to walk confidently. And as an overcomer, even in our off seasons, and we're going to learn how to do it today. Come on, turn with us to Titus chapter 2. As you return to Titus chapter 2, say off season. Off-season. And we're going to pick up in verse 11. Off season. We're taking this in the NIV. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Somebody said, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. 
See, LCM is a church that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. See, this passage from Titus chapter 2, we've been taught very well about the grace of God. It's been a staple teaching here in this church. It's not a grace that, you know, it's, it's greasy. This is not sloppy agape. This is not, I want a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. I want some, I want some grace juice. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about grace that shows up in power. Grace that shows up that gives you the ability, Spencer McLean, to say no to ungodliness. Grace that empowers you to, to do things that you've never, ever done before. Talk about self-control. Man, did, did y'all have self-control before you met Jesus? Before you encountered him? See, his grace empowers you to have self-control in areas that you never have before. That's what his grace does. And his grace also, also leads us somewhere. A main teaching in this church for, for decades now has been how that grace is not just a feeling. It's not a soft, fluffy cloud that you're trying to fall into. It is the actual power of God to say no to a sinful life. But that is not the end result. That is where the grace of God begins. Yeah. God is causing us to go back over some very fundamental and important things in our church. And he's showing us even something more. Look at verse 13. While we wait. Oh, he's going to teach us how to say no. He's going to teach us how to live a godly life. While we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Church, what we're telling you is that the goal of grace, the grace of God, is to do more than just to teach you to say no to ungodliness. There is a result of the grace that's supposed to be working in your life. We're going to get right to this here in just a second. But have you thought about how often as people we see, yes, there's the grace of God. I, don't I can be taught to have the power to say no to sin. But what are we focusing on with grace? What we receive from it. I get the power to say no. I get the power to live an upright and self-controlled life. I get to wait for his blessed hope. He's going to return. He's going to redeem me. He's going to purify me. What does God get in the, as the result and the product of the grace? He's going to get a people that are his own. And what defines these people that, who are his own? A people who are eager to do what is good. Let's take a look at this verse in the ESV. Same verse who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Have you been hearing the voice of the Lord to us in the last few weeks that the goal of the grace of God is to get us to the point where we are zealous for good works? Now, anybody zealous in this house? Y'all a bunch of crazy people. I love it. I love it. But I want to help you to understand something here. Being a zealous, being zealous for good works is not just a one-time kind of event. The word here in the Greek, we're not going to go off into Greek. You know we can. You know we can go into deep dives in the original language in Hebrew and Greek. We're not doing that today. You know why? Because that's not what you need today. 
The word behind this, though, is a word called zelotes. Zelotes. Zealous is more in keeping with a person. It's a noun. It's a person who is a zealot. What's the difference between zealous for good works and becoming a zealot for good works? A person who is zealous for good works is then affected, impacted. How zealous you are is based on whether you're in an off season or not. I feel zealous today. I don't feel so zealous today. I was confident 10 minutes ago. Now I'm not so confident. Your zealousness must become so ingrained in you that you are known as a zealot. That is the character of your life. Whether you're on or you're off, it doesn't matter because you are still zealous for good works. Why? Because the grace of God has empowered you and his presence is in you so you do not ever come off of the zealous good works that God has for you. Man, we're going to be zealous even in our off season. We're going to be zealous whether we feel good or not. We're going to be zealous because we know the character of our God and we know that his power is working in us. Church, this is the goal of grace. It is a zealousness, which is what God gets from us in this process. Come on, what a great thought. How can we bless the Lord? How can we give unto the Lord? When you are living a life that has been empowered by the grace of God and you are zealous for good works, he receives from a people that he has made his own exactly what he intended the entire time. Come on, anybody in here ready to be some zealots in the house of God? I love what Pastor Wade is saying and I'm, I'm being rocked on the stage as I'm hearing you preach, Pastor. So often I've only thought about grace about, I've only talk, thought about grace in light of what I get, what it produces inside of me. I am overcome by the feeling that my father gets something out of me. And when I engage back with Titus 2 verse 11, I remember what I used to be. I remember I was enslaved to sin. I remember that I was in darkness, in chain. Couldn't stop having the thoughts that I was having. Couldn't stop doing the things that I was doing. And his grace, his power met me. That grace that has empowered me, that's transformed me, is causing me to realize and to grow in the revelation that it does not stop there. That it is a relationship. That he desires that I am zealous for good works. It has nothing to do with how we feel. It has nothing to do with your present circumstance. Think about Numbers 25. Think about a man like Phinehas. You think he just woke up like, no, today, no, today, it'll be good to just spare some people. <laughs> no. <laughs> Phinehas was full of zeal for, for God. And, and without God actually giving us the insight when he was speaking to Moses about why Phinehas did what, he did what he did, we would never know. God spoke and said, Phinehas did this because he was zealous for my name. Why did Phinehas do it? Why? He was in, he was in Egypt. He was a slave. God transformed. He is covered up the blood of the lamb. He's experienced the Red Sea. His spirits mounted from heaven. He's saying, God, take care, destroy the Amalekites. And that man was zealous for God's name. He said, I remember what I used to be, and this is what I am now. Lord, I am zealous for your name. Amen. What about a man like Jehu? Y'all love Jehu? Yeah. Man, Jehu is on fire when you read the scriptures. 
See, Jehu was just a commander. But what happened? He got anointed by God. See, he was actually under bad leadership. See, Jehu was anointed by God. He was zealous for God. He looked at other men and said, hey, come follow me and see the zeal that I have for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He didn't do it because he just manufactured it. He was overcome by the thought that God, uh, that God, the ancient of days, picked Jehu out of all the other commanders, out of all the other soldiers, uh, out of all the other men and said, you, you are going to be my king. You are the one that I've anointed for the task. You're the one that I've called you to destroy the enemy works. And Jehu said, you know what? I'm going to step into this. Not because he did it myself, because the God who is enough is with me and I'm zealous for his name. Come on, Adam Cora. What about Nehemiah? Oh, yeah. Nehemiah was getting things right. A cupbearer to the king, a very high position. And he was getting things right in Israel, building the wall. And he was pastoring the people. And when he, he took, I was going to say he, he took a hit and take a break. When he had to get back to his duty because he's a man of God working unto the Lord. And then he went back to his people. And things were out of order, pastor. People were doing all kind of nonsense. And Nehemiah got them straight. And he said, hey, no, we're going to get this right. He said, Lord, remember me. Remember what I'm doing for your people, Lord. Remember the things that I'm doing here. Remember me, oh, my God. Wasn't Nehemiah a man that was zealous? He was zealous for the Lord. The Moravians, pastor. The two young men. The two young men who were transformed by the blood of Jesus. Who were transformed by the blood of the Lamb. And they heard. They heard that there were men on the island, that nobody can get to them unless by a boat. And these men knew and they said, the gospel has to reach that island. So much so that the owner of the island, the man who was in prison and the other men, the warden said, nope, these men will have to find their own way. I refuse to bring to this island because the gospel will never be upon this island. These men will never hear the gospel. Those two young men said, we're going to go. We're going to go, we're going to sell ourselves into slavery. We're going to go and preach the gospel. Their family's like, is this wise? Do you have to do this? Can you do this another way? Say, no. No, may the lamb that was slain, may the lamb that was slain on behalf of us, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Why would men do that? Men want to save their lives. They want to protect what is theirs. These young men said, no, I'm not worried about a wife. I'm not worried about children. I'm not worried about building my own kingdom, pastor. I'm only worried about building the kingdom that belongs to the ancient of days. I'm only worried about building a kingdom that belongs to the Alpha and the Omega. I am only worried about building the kingdom of the one who has set me free. And now I am zealous for his name. Zealous for good works. Jehu, Phinehas, Nehemiah, the young man, the Moravians. You know what they are? They're with the cloud of witnesses. They've completed their work. They showed themselves to be zealous for the God of Israel. They gave him the reward that was due his name. You guys inspired by these men? They're no longer here. What about you? What about us? Our race is not over. We just had the Kaddish, right? People have gone before us and they finished their race, but here we are and we have opportunity. He has works prepared in advance for us to do. Works that are uncompleted, but we're going to complete them in the name of Jesus. LCM, take hold of this. 
When you think about what he's done for you, when you think what he's brought you from, I'm not just talking about your born-again experience. I'm talking about the things he's set you free from since then. Because he's a faithful God. Doesn't he deserve all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all, everything that you have? Of course he does. And we're going to get it, LCM. It's like an uncaged lion up here. It's one thing to try to preach about being zealous, but it's another thing for, to see a man who is zealous for God's works to communicate that to us. Don't you want to be like that? Yeah. This church wants to be that with all of our hearts. We don't want to be a kind who will go an acceptable distance in the eyes of their peers, but we want to go all the way that God has for us. I want to look like a fool compared to the world so that I might gain the accolades of heaven. Do you see why now it is so crucial that we understand how to deal with our lives in the off-season? Yeah, yeah. Don't you feel inspired by what you just heard from Abimbola? Yeah. What happens two hours from now when you no longer feel the inspiration of this lion of a man who is preaching to you and stirring your soul? Being zealous for good works means that we deal rightly with every moment that we're feeling off. We don't crumble when our confidence wanes. We actually just say, I don't care. I'm going to move forward and become all that God has for me. Amen. We're going to get to this idea. We're going to get very, very practical with you today. Amen. You know, we can go deep. We can do a lot of different things. What we're going to do today is make this as practical as possible to make sure that you and I, that we together are fulfilling God's will, that we are zealous for good works, and we're being empowered by the Spirit. Turn with us to 1 John chapter 3 as we continue to deal with our off-season. Somebody say off-season as you're turning there. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. I'd say that was already worth the price of admission right there. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Okay, maybe you were turning in your Bible. Maybe you didn't get what I just said. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Come on, isn't that a great word, lavish? Yes. Come on, doesn't every wife in the room want her husband to lavish love upon her? Yes, she does. Yes, she do. All right. So if you're going to see what great love the Father has lavished on you, Let's see what that means. That we should be called children of God. Somebody say, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. That is a sign of God's great love that has been lavished upon you. And that is what we are. It's not just a great sign of his love that's been lavished upon us. It's the actual identity that we are. It is an amazing thing to be called a child of God. It's another thing that's even better than that for you to be a child of God who is called a child of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. No wonder people look at us the way we do. Well, you guys are just kind of overly passionate. More than that. No, I'm a lot more than that. If you think this is undignified... You have no idea. Of course you don't understand 
people when they look at us, why are you going to go outside in the rain to do a baptism? Because I'm a child of God. You may not understand this, but it's because you don't understand the Father. See, the people in this room, you've been called. You've been chosen. Man, I look at Ray Pena. Ray, is, Ray and Ruby are some of my favorite people in the whole world. To see the supernatural transformation that took place just a few years ago, and you can see miraculous effect of them being children of God. Everybody in this church is blessed from Ray and Ruby yes. because of the supernatural transformation. You see, God has chosen. It, it didn't just happen by chance for Chris, Carl, Chris, Ray, you saw her to come in the, in the doors. Come on, Carl. That's how you know we're family. That's how you know we're family. Family. The government name. They know how to come and get you now. <laughs> Church, you are children of God. That means your DNA has now been infused and transfused with the very DNA of the God of all creation. You are the same substance. Don't worry about the people who don't understand. Of course they don't understand because they're of an entirely different species in you. You have the DNA of heaven inside of you, and we should not be looking for those people to accept us because our God has already accepted us. He has already lavished love. I'm not looking for that. As a matter of fact, when they hate me, I love it because I realize they also hated him. That actually shows that I'm a child of God. Those who love him, they're going to love me. Those who hate him, they're going to hate me. Praise God. Thank you, for, for Lord, for making it this close, this clear. But take a look at what verse 2 says. Check out verse 2. It says, they're friends. Now, somebody say now. Now. We are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I love this. We are children of God now. That is the reality. It doesn't matter how we feel. Now we are children of God because the scripture declares it. And can't you see in your life that you are a completely different human being than you were before, we, before you came to Jesus? You are a child of God now. What does it mean to be a son of the living God? Man, when I look at my daughters... Well, I look at my daughters, right? One still can barely hold her neck up, but one is about to turn three. She is proud to be our daughter. She's proud to be in our household. She's proud to carry the family name. If that's true for my daughter, how much more for us, Uban? How much more for us to carry the name of the one that is incredible? We are children of God now. And even knowing this, Pastor, we can still feel off. Just, yeah, I know. We can still feel off. Can y'all relate with getting a life-giving prophetic speech? I mean, it is from the third heavens. Your brother, your sister has heard clearly from the Lord. I mean, it is, it is everything that is going on in your heart, and you know it's true. And it's like Ezekiel 37. It is, it is life. It's supposed to resurrect you, but you just, you just can't receive it? You're having a hard time? Yeah, hang on a second. <laughs> hold, hold up a minute. Abin Bola just asked you a question. 
Have you ever gotten a kind word from somebody and just went, mm. Have you ever gotten a prophetic word that spoke right to your issue and you went, Thank you for such a kind word on the outside, but on the inside you went, I just Only don't believe it. Okay? Husbands, have you ever shared Abigail traits with your wife? Oh. And wives, have you just gone, mm -mm. <laughs> Wives, have you thought internally, you're just doing that because Pastor Wade and Pastor Matt told you to. Oh, oh, oh. Why, as a church, can we receive actual prophecy? Actual speech that is designed to build us up exactly what we need, piercing us to the core. How is it possible that we can ignore such a great salvation mm. because you feel off and you're trusting your feeling of feeling off more than the reality of the Word of God. We're going to help blow that up today. You might as well go ahead and get comfortable because we are going to just work at this until we get where God wants us to get today. I many times have heard a word from God through my brothers, through men and women in this room, and I've just said, thank you on the outside, and I've ignored it. They're just being nice. They're just trying to say something good to me. Yeah, like that's a bad thing, first of all. I'm using, I know that they're being kind to disregard what they're saying. What I'm saying is, I'm feeling off, and I'd like to stay feeling off. Thank you very much. We're going we're gonna to blow that up today. We're going to blow it up. Since, since we're already here. <laughs> since we're already here. Since we're here, Pastor. What I mean, what I mean. <laughs> right before we, get, we got this message started, Gabe Sutherland walked up to me. He's like, hey, brother, I'm excited for this word. Man, you guys are going to crush it. My response, yeah, um, the Lord's going to do what he needs to do. Uh, how, how long ago? Maybe 15 minutes ago this just happened? How is it that I know that this is God-ordained? I know this is the word from heaven. I know that this is the word for this body to move us forward, and yet somehow I just feel off. Because I've taken, up, taken my eyes off the spiritual reality of actually who I am in Christ. Nolan Hill, do you feel me? Yeah, man, sometimes I feel like, man, there's just, there's just areas of growth. You know, if you just knew some of the things that I'm wrestling with, if you just knew some of the things that I just need to grow in, maybe you wouldn't have given me that word. How sinful. How wicked. Is that real? Yeah. And when you look at verse 2, it's easy to look at it. Where when I looked at it, I'm a child of God, and yet what I will be has not been made known, and somehow that just causes my heart to be really fast. Like, what is that going to look like? What do I have to do? There's still so much growth to go and this and that. Like, just what about the future, the future, the f all these different things, fear, fear of failure. But you know, when we're feeling this way, pastor, yeah. the word of God is the answer. Yeah. See, we need to take on the attitude that David had in Psalm 131. 
He says, I won't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. You know what David's really saying? Look, man, I got all these responsibilities. There's all these things that God has prepared in advance for me to do. But the one thing I'm going to focus on right now is where I am, that I am a child of God. And if we can take hold of that, everything changes. Everything. The circumstance may not change, but everything changes inside of us of how we view where we are, our perspective. See, our identity does not change just because my identity doesn't change because I need to grow. Right? Wait, wait a second. My parents named it Abimbola. They named it Abimbola before I recognized my name was Abimbola. Did my name change as I progressed in maturity and growth physically? No. no. Then why will my identity, who I am in Christ, change just because I need to grow in certain areas? There's no need. He, he, what he established, that rock that is cut out of the mountain like Daniel chapter 2, that rock is going to grow into an everlasting kingdom. And we are cut out of the same rock like Isaiah says. Why would my identity change, Steve Thomas? Just because things are a little difficult and I need to grow. I need some more pastoring of my family. See, the Apostle John clearly understands this. And when he's speaking to his brothers and sisters, he clearly explains these things here. Look at what verse 3 says. All, say all, all, who have this hope in him purified themselves just as he is pure. The hope we are going to be like, when we see him, we're going to be just as he is. Does that mean that we're not of the substance of heaven now? Of course not. We are of the substance of heaven. Pastor Wade just said it. Our spiritual DNA has changed like John 3 says. And all who have this hope purify themselves it's almost like all i need is my feet washed juan just my feet i don't need a whole body wash i don't need a full dunk you're going to get dunked if you're getting baptized that's for sure but we're talking about purifying ourselves just my feet need to be washed my identity as a child of god does not change because he is pure he is holy I am pure. I am holy because he's the one who called me, who chose me, who transformed me. Leonard Ravenhill said that the one of the most miraculous things that God can ever do for a man is take an unholy man out of an unholy world, put him back in the unholy world, and keep him holy. Yeah. Isn't that what God is doing inside of us? Yeah. See, we are being purified because he is pure. Take a look at verse 4. We're getting right to the heart of an issue here that we're going to help you to unwrench from what you've been thinking, what you've been feeling, and help you get to the solution. Isn't that a great, great day? So dig in with us. Don't let a need to go to the restroom keep you from what God has for you in the next few minutes. You with us? Everyone who sins breaks the law. Now, now we're getting to it. You're like, see, I knew it. You've been talking to us about being children of God, but there's this other issue that's there now. I should just put the mic down, Pastor. <laughs> In fact, sin is lawlessness. Verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Thank you, Lord. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, let's get at the core of why we like to hold on to our off season. Because you go, but there are things that I still need to grow in. 
it's difficult for me to, I mean, I can say that I'm a child of God, but that's difficult because I, I still am not the fullest version. So I want to say that I, I will be powerful in the kingdom. I will become zealous instead of being zealous now. Why? Because we say, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Isn't there a problem with this verse? Yeah, that's a trick question because there's never a problem with the verse. Isn't there a problem with our understanding of the verse? The obvious issue is that we sin. Has anybody sinned since becoming a believer? Was that just one time or did you keep on doing it over time? This issue here that we're about to solve for us is what calls us to stay in a double-minded state. You won't say it this way, but this is what your off feelings make you do. I'm a son of God. Oh, dang it. I messed up. I'm not as much of a son of God. Wait, I went and repented. I'm a son of God. This constant back and forth is not what this passage is trying to do. You realize that there's no break in chapter? That what the Apostle John was speaking, he continues to say? He continues to move on? Look, we're going to help with the double-mindedness to make sure. Can anybody agree that at at least at times, theoretically, that you've been double-minded about your walk with the Lord? Yeah. Look at... Let's look at the same verses that we just read, verses 4 through 6 in the ESV, because it'll help you to get this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on or practices sinning. Okay, so let me help you get this. Is anybody in this room in the habit of practicing sinning? Do you wake up in the morning trying to figure out how you can sin more and sin better? You're thinking and devising ways. You know what? If I did this, this would help me. No, if you are, you need to repent. You need God's power of grace to come in your life and help you and transform you. But for the vast majority of people in here, you're not practicing sinning. You're not trying to get better at it. You just have these things inside of you that you have to learn to have power over. See, we are not those who practice sinning. That's not who we are. Let's get a good look at a definition of practicing sinning from Psalm 36. Yeah, I honestly think... Perhaps this is what the Apostle John had on his mind. We're going to put this on the screen. Psalm 36, verse 1 through 4. Look at this. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flattered themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The, wor- the words of their mouth are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Elsim, does that define you? No. Absolutely not. So next time you come across 1 John 4, if you're not reading the ESV, keep Psalm 36 in mind. You are not those who are practicing sin. You've gotten things wrong since you've come in contact with Jesus. You don't think he knew that? You don't think when he purchased you that you would still mess up? 
Of course he did. But you have his seed inside of you, and you do not practice sin. Like Pastor Wade said, you're not on your bed plotting these things. You're not, you're not committing yourself to a sinful course. Say, that's not who I am. Say, I do not practice sin. Verse 7 in 1 John helps you know what you do practice. Little children, let no one deceive you. Not even how you feel about yourself. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he is righteous. Come on, man. Come on now. Somebody say, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Did that feel hard for you to say? It did, didn't it? Somebody say, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. That's easy for you to say. Somebody say, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Why does that feel so different? Are y'all with me? Pastor, how do you know? Because it feels different for me. My great discernment. I'm just saying, oh, that could kind of feel weird. We are people who are practicing righteousness, so you are righteous. As he is righteous. Goodness gracious. See, you don't have a problem with this concept in other areas. You could be a full-fledged doctor practicing medicine, and no one looks at them like they're less of a doctor because they're practicing medicine. So true. You could be a lawyer and you're practicing law. But no one looks at that and goes, you're not a lawyer because you're just practicing. An engineer who can practice engineering. We are righteous men and women of God because we're practicing righteousness. Hallelujah. Let me help you to see yourself better. Here's what your week is going to be like. How do you know my schedule? Watch. Sunday, you're going to be here at the most fired up place that you've ever been. Yeah. You're going to be practicing righteousness. You're going to be taking in the word. You're going to be going, ah, like out loud. I love it. Y'all are like, oh, you got me, pastor. Then tonight, you're going to come over on Forte, and you're going to hang out at our house, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to talk more about the word of God. And then on Tuesday, you're going to come and have a two-hour Bible study on the book of Acts. And then on Wednesday, probably you're going to have a team meeting where you're going to talk with other people about the Lord, share prophetic life-giving words, open up your heart, bleh, spill it all out there. Thursday, you're going to come back to service. Friday, you're going to go to discipleship training. Saturday, you're going to home group. And next Sunday, you're going to be back here doing the same thing. Does that sound like somebody practicing righteousness? Yes. Man, that's almost like the regalia feast in in the nation of Israel. We got daily, weekly things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah That's it. just the corporate stuff. In addition to that, you people, somebody look at your neighbor and say, you people. You people. You people are reading your Bible every day. You're praying. You're praying through the tabernacle. Husbands are leading their wives and their children. Children are reading the word and reflecting on it with their parents. This sounds like a group of people who are practicing righteousness. So why is it so hard for us to say that we're righteous? When you practice righteousness, you are righteous. When you are righteous, you practice righteousness. Let me just say it very plainly to everyone. May your off-season be damned. 
the concept that when you make one mistake, that you then cast off everything that you've been practicing on, I got to go back to the beginning. Or, that's what some of you do. I I started over because I had that thought. Ah, I'm back at the beginning because I messed up. Or others of you in the room, you're like, now. Now I'm going to make up for the mistake. And I know that God has me practicing in a certain way. But I'm now going to add all of these things. I'm no longer going to do what he told me to do. I'm going to add a bunch of stuff because it makes me feel better because I messed up. It's actually just for my own guilt, but I'm going to blame it on the Lord. And then when I'm now doing too much stuff, now, now I'm overloading, and it's not really what he said, so I can't do it. Then I mess up, and it starts the whole train again. Oh. May your off-season be damned. Because you know what? You are sons of God in this house. You're also co-heirs with Christ. Can somebody say Amen. You are seated in the heavenly realms. You're full in Christ. You are clothed with Christ. You're a participator in the divine nature. You are strengthened with all power. You're ambassadors of God. You are the dwelling place of God. You are a holy and royal priesthood. You are God's inheritance. Have we said it yet, church? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say, say I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if there's an off season. It has nothing to do with your identity if you feel off. Pastor, I've been wrestling. Wrestling. Wrestling with this very concept. I'm Nigerian. Uh, but from, from time to time, uh, you know, the southern accent does come out. Southern Nigeria. Yeah, southern Nigerian. So I'm wrestling with this concept. I know this things to be true, and what the Lord is showing me is, I didn't realize how much stock, like, I'm not talking about a 401k, just how much stock I put into how I physically feel. Man, I know I shouldn't, Pastor. I know I should put no stock if I feel alert. If I feel like I have all the discernment of heaven. If I, if I feel physically energized, I got the energy for the day. I should put no stock in that I know that. I also know not to put any stock in if I, if I feel just off. I know these things, but I do. I still do it. You know, if I feel good, then I feel like I'm a man of God. I can, I can prophesy. I can, I can do what God wants me to do. But the moment... The moment I get the sleepies, Pastor, the moment that the demons of hell grab my eyelids and try to close it, oh, man, oh, I, I'm falling to real. my knees like, Lord, now I'm not the real. man anymore. Am I the only one that goes through that? <laughs> so with that being said, let the scripture help us. You guys want to see a man who had no regard for her circumstance, it didn't matter, but he practiced righteousness regardless of what was happening all around him? I'm not convinced. Do you guys want to see it? Let's turn to the book of Job. Say off season. Off season. We're going to catch this in the NET. Pick it up in verse 5. It says, 
When the days of their feasting was finished, were finished, Job would send for them and sanctify them. He would get up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's customary practice. LCM, this is his practice. This is a man practicing righteousness. If you read the verses before, one through four, God blessed Job abundantly. This is a man that was the greatest in the East. Job's not doing this because he has unrepented sin. He doesn't have anything he's hiding. He didn't have any bad practices. And when things were going great in his life, like really, really great, it was customary for him to practice righteousness. He's not trying to prevent loss. He's not trying to hold on to what he has. He immensely loves the Lord. We guys know how the story goes. You know how it progresses? One day everything is fine, and the next day it's not. Servants are apparent running, running to Job and say, hey, this is what happened. The oxen and the donkeys were carried away. The servants were killed with the sword. Fire fell from heaven, burned the sheep, and the servants were killed with the sword. The camels were carried away by a band of raiders. The servants were killed. And lastly, the fourth servant, Job, all your children are dead. Do you feel that? Look at what Job goes on to say in verse 21 of the same chapter. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The, God, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with moral impropriety. See, the bottom line of this is, Job's circumstances did not matter one bit. They're tangible. They're real. His children are here one day and they're gone the next. But he said, blessed be the name of Yahweh God, regardless of what just happened. Oh, man. Oh, man. When I was, when I was engaging with this, this is what he was doing inside of me. This is what the Lord has helped me to rep, to practice righteousness regardless of my circumstance. I found out on Friday that I was preaching today. You know the first thought that came to mind? Ah! <laughs> Fear. Anxiety. I don't know how this is going to go. Am I going to say the right thing? I wasn't expecting it, Pastor. I was expecting to, to coast from Friday to Saturday, Shabbat with my wife and my kids. You know, just... Grab each other's hands and run in the grass and eat some Skittles. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't sure how this is going to go. And this whole time. Wait, wait they're, still, they're still stuck on the Skittles. Hang on. <laughs> Give them a second. <laughs> yeah, y'all were all pictured in Bim just uh, skipping through the tulips there. I know. Uh-huh. I know. The point being is I was afraid. That was my initial reaction. And I, I, I walked outside the, the door. I get Pastor Wade a hug. The pastor's a hug. I'm like, yes, Pastor, I'm excited. As soon as I walked outside the house, I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I wasn't expecting this. You know what the Lord spoke to me? Almost instantaneously. I said, what changed? You, you guys know me. I'm like Peter. I'm like, I, I, what, what changed? Lord, it's Friday. I wasn't expecting to preach on, on Sunday. 
Yeah. Uh, my Saturday now looks different. Friday at 10 p.m., by the way. Yeah. I, Lord, what do, you, what do you mean what changed? He said, Abimbola, what changed? Still not getting it. Saturday morning, I wake up, first thing on my mind, what changed, Abimbola? Lord, you know what changed. He said, did I change? Am I not your faithful creator? Did my character change, Abimbola? No, sir. Did my relationship with you change, Abimbola? No, sir. Your circumstances are different. That changed. So what? Did I change, son? No, sir, you did not change. You feel it? Your circumstances don't matter at all. And I wrestled with this. I said, Lord, you are absolutely right. Nothing has changed. There's no difference between me finding it on Friday or, or Sunday. It doesn't matter. You are still the same. You are still righteous. So therefore, because you do not change, like Malachi says, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. Because you do not change, Lord, because I am your son, I don't change. You're righteous. I'm righteous. I'm going to practice righteousness. This is who God has called me to be. So Adam Cora, when circumstances, you get a bad phone call, regardless of what's happening, it doesn't matter. Your God doesn't change, so you don't change either. You look to the heavens and say, Lord, what do you want to do? Because regardless of the circumstance, we walk by faith and not by sight. This is who we are. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> what has changed? Um, but my circumstances did. So what? Just say, so what? Come on now. Look, we're going to help you here. I mean, we've already been helping you. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Yeah. We're helping you to see what's on the inside. We're going to show you some very, very practical things that you can do. You want to know what you need to do about what you're hearing? Yeah. Well, we're going to help you with that. Think about it this way. We're going to give you step one of practicing righteousness. You ready for step one? When you get to an off season, when you feel like the circumstances has changed, so what do you need to do? Step one. This comes from the framework of uh, all of you musical people out there. What I've learned over the years is that if a person practices, they only practice what they're already good at. <laughs> you pick up the guitar and you play your favorite chord progression that you learned way back when. You <laughs> Six, four, one, five in your favorite key. You start doing the little riff that you learned back, and it's the one riff that you got. It's your one little thing that you can show off, but you show that thing off. That's what you do every time you pick up your musical instrument. You do your favorite part of your favorite song so that you, that's the part that you think you sound the best on. That's what you like to practice. Can anybody relate? You wanna practice what you're already good at? You realize that uh, our point isn't whether you play a musical instrument or not, yeah, right? It's why, actually, most adults don't learn how to play a musical instrument, or they don't learn a new language, or they don't learn a new skill. You know why? Because you don't want to feel like you don't know what you're doing. How about this? I'm really comfortable just being off the cuff. I mean, I don't want to have to script things down before I give a prophetic word to somebody. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to feel it in the moment. 
I don't really want to have to practice being disciplined. You know, I just, I don't really want to grow in another area. I want to do what I already feel like I can do. How about the other end of the spectrum? I don't know why I'm looking at you when I do this. I, I, I know exactly why you're looking at me. How about I feel really comfortable at writing everything down? I, I don't, I don't want to have to, like, guess it. I mean, I'm just trying to be thoughtful here. I mean, I just, I just want to make sure that I'm clear. Or how about, you know, I just don't want to forget anything that we've talked about. Yeah. Just saying. In other words, I don't want to have to practice trusting God in the moment that he'll give me what I need. Is anybody, can you agree that we already just like to practice what we're already good at? We avoid the things that we don't already feel good at. See, that's the problem, though, is when you're in the off-season, nothing feels like you want to do it. Even the stuff that you felt good about, now your feelings don't, but you've trained yourself to only yield to what feels good to you. So here's the key. You ready to write it down? Now that I've messed with you some more. Here's the key. To practicing righteousness, you have to practice your fundamentals. They're called fundamentals for a reason. That was for you, Peyton. Nobody else liked that, but it's okay. I like it. Hey, by the way, you're not advanced because you leave the fundamentals. You're advanced when you master the fundamentals. Don't you have something when I'm saying you got to practice the fundamentals that's like, that's not the fun stuff. Yeah, for sure, you're right. You are not advanced when you leave the fundamentals, but when you master them. How about we turn to Hebrews 5 together? How about we start in verse 11? We're going to do this in the ESV. Somebody say off-season as you're turning. Off-season. Verse 11 says, about this we have much to say. It's hard to explain. Since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you again the basic principles, the fundamentals of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, because he's just a little bitty baby. But solid food is for the mature, or solid food is for those who are practicing righteousness because they're righteous. For those have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hey, you know what you do in your off season? You practice the fundamentals. You get out the marriage teaching and you're actually working through and you're abigailing. You're giving godly traits to your spouse. Can I tell you that your Abigail and the ball cards, that your marriage counseling, your marriage teaching... Is not just for Spencer and Randy who are getting married in 13 days. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Just trying to get a plug in there. That's all right. <clears throat> Can I tell you that your marriage teaching is for you in your off season? Yes. It's not, you know, things are going good. I should leave the fundamentals of what I've been given. Come on. You don't know when the next off season is coming. What you do is you get in there and like, I'm going to practice righteousness by practicing my fundamentals. Okay, the marriage one was kind of easy. How about you singles? If you're unmarried in this house, raise your hand. All right. I'm looking at you. 
All of you. Even Lincoln's raising his hand. I love it. Way to go, Joe. Don't forget about me. You can put your hands down. You know, I don't know who I'm going to marry. I'm actually kind of afraid that I'll never get married, even though that's a ridiculous thought, but that's really the thought that dominates my head. I know what I'll do. I'll just start guessing at it. She's pretty. I guess that'll do. Oh, did I say that out loud? And then the next week, you're like, oh, look, a new person walked into the church. <laughs> Perhaps, when is the next wedding that's scheduled at a non-LCM, uh, uh, here at LCM? I will go across the world to find someone at another wedding in the one association. Or, you can practice your fundamentals by seeking what God wants for you through his word. You know, as a matter of fact, the ones who actually are faithful at doing this are the ones who are always the next in line to get married. Oh, you mean it's not just random? No, it's not random, single people. The people who are faithful to practice the fundamentals are the ones who make themselves ready for marriage. How about walking in uh, your team unity meetings? How about the fundamental that you have every week now that you're practicing where you're having to pray, hear from God, get a prophetic word, and share your heart? How about you practice the fundamental of walking in transparency with other people? Oh. Somebody say practice the fundamentals. Practice the fundamentals. In your off season, this is what you go to every time. By the way, Everybody in this room should have a stack of note cards that have scriptures on them. You know what? I didn't have to try to remember if I was going to have it in my pocket. You know why? Because I practice the fundamentals. I have scriptures with me every single day. Besides my Bible as a whole, which I take with me everywhere, even when I'm on my motorcycle, by the way. If I don't have anything else, I got my Bible in the little case in the back. See, you got to practice your fundamentals. This is what helps you to overcome the off-season and to practice righteousness because you are righteous. Yes. Say, I am righteous. I am righteous. We're going to keep hammering this. Now, Pastor, I'm not a musician. Clearly, I can't play the guitar or play the drums. I love that you guys do. So uh, the point being is I see how essential practicing the fundamentals are for every believer. And I have the very next step for us in practicing righteousness. So I'm 32 years old. I know I look older. It's okay. I'm aging. And I'm learning a lot more now at the age of 32 about working out. You would think it would be the inverse, like in my 20s I did it. No, I'm actually learning more. See, where a musician may want to only practice what they're good at. Oh, pastor. I want to work out in a way that does not push me beyond my current limits. I want to set goals for myself that I can safely coast in and safely accomplish. I want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable to complete this goal. I want to escape any potential threat 
of injury. I mean, that's pretty logical when you're working out, right? You don't want to do too much, so you want to make sure that you can handle the weight. Really, I don't want to expose any weakness. Oh, there it is. Exposing weakness. I just don't, you know, when you're working out, I want to look good, man. I want to be like Adonis, like ripped. That's what I want to look like. But I don't want to expose the areas where I just, I just don't like to look at them. Can y'all relate? Anyone else want to be seen as strong with literally zero, nada, not a zilch of weakness? You would say that you have weaknesses, but never really want to show it. See, what this looks like inside of me is, man, I want to be the savior. See, when brothers come to me, I'm like, man, this is what's going on in my home. This is what's going on with my kids. This is what's going on at work. I want to come in and, and save them like Saw Me Team, Pastor. I want to pull them out of the muck and mire. I want to be the one that has the scriptural insights that they need. I want to be Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37 and prophesy into those dry bones so they can resurrect. I want to be the savior, the one with the deep spiritual insight. You know, I want to say, brother, I have heard what's going on in your life, and I can just pray in a moment and have exactly what heaven has to say. I want to be the guy helping others, but never want to be the one who actually needs help. See, I don't mind helping y'all. I don't mind giving you the scriptures. I don't mind saying, hey, that scripture you're looking for, it's, it's over here in this passage. I don't mind doing that. <laughs> I, what I do wrestle with is putting myself in a position to be vulnerable, to say, hey, I need help, Pastor Wade. I need help, Pastor Peyton. I need help with this in my marriage. I need help with this with my kids. You know, I just need help. It's difficult. The point is when we are practicing Say practicing. Practicing. When we're practicing the fundamentals, Cody Stevens, the only way we can actually get stronger is to practice pushing ourselves beyond our current condition and beyond our current capacity. One more time. Once we are practicing the fundamentals, the only way we can actually get stronger is to practice pushing ourselves beyond our current conditioning and beyond our current capacity. This is not about a sin issue. This is about practicing in a way that reaches your limit, your own ability. It pushes you past, you, you get to that point, that, that point of your limit and capacity. That's what we're talking about. Because when you do, you find something extraordinary take place. See, the Apostle Paul and we're going to put this up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 24, this is what he says. Five times I, was, I received a hand, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less than one. You guys know Paul. Paul's not getting beat because he's sinning. It's not because he's hiding sin. No, he was a master of the fundamental. He was a man that knew what God had done inside of him. A man that used to persecute the church. And now he is zealous for the God of Israel. That's who Paul is. A man who pushed himself until he reached the end of his own capacity. In, in fact, Pastor, Paul maxed out his capacity. He maxed out his ability. If you keep reading in 2 Corinthians, he talks about being in, on frequent journeys because he was a man who was practicing righteousness. He talked about uh, facing danger from his own people, danger in the wilderness, sleepless nights, cold and exposure, 
of being hungry and thirsty. He experienced all these things because he pushed himself beyond his limit. Look at verse 29. It says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. See, this was a man who practiced righteousness. He's writing this not because he wants to boast about himself. He said, the only thing that actually matters, the reason I recapped all the things that I did is to, is to show that the super apostles you're comparing me with, this is what they long for. No, what I long for is to push myself beyond my capacity to reach my limit because when I do so, something supernatural happens. LCM, when you're pushing yourself, it is not the end of your workout. It is really just the beginning of you becoming stronger and increasing your capacity. Chris Rizor, when you give all, when you practice righteousness, regardless of the off-season that you feel, when you push yourself to that limit, you will find out just really how strong you are and your capacity increases. I don't know if you really caught what he's saying here. Until the point where you reach your capacity, you're not really gaining anything new. At best... You're just maintaining what you've already done. It's not until you get to the point where you can't lift anything anymore. You can't do another rep. You're actually trying, and the weight is not moving up. It's then that you're in a position of gaining some conditioning, of gaining some strength, of gaining capacity. And we're clearly not talking about whether you get it under a weight, on a weight bench here. We're talking about practicing righteousness. So what are we saying? If we only stay in the zone of our ability, what happens? You never get to the threshold where faith is actually in operation. If you're only operating in what you can do and what you can already achieve, how are you going to get to the things that only God can do through you? I'm going to work out in a way where I just stay within my capacity. And if you ask me to do something else, I get mad at you. I can't do that. We know that. Where does faith come in if not at the very point where you are attempting something great for God and you're not sure that you can do it? Come on. We're going to be zealous for good works, except we're only going to do the things that we can already do. Come on. How zealous is that? Oh, we're going to help you today, though. We're going to get it. It's only now that you're finally reaching the edge of your own ability, and then you enter into the realm of faith where God's power can then come. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Supernatural. We're not talking about sin. We're not talking about that you get tired and you sin. We're talking about trying and doing great things and getting to the maximum of your capacity. You are doing righteousness. Jesus is in the garden. He's praying. He's there. And what happens? God, not my will, but your will be done. And then what has to happen? An angel has to come and minister to him. Even Jesus got to a maximum capacity here on this earth. Come on now, church. Turn with us to 2 Corinthians 12. This is exactly what Paul is saying. 2 Corinthians 12, and we're going to begin in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. 
That's when God's strength is able to come in. When you've been operating in your own, you're missing out on God's power being there. It's when you are practicing to the edge, to the maximum of your capacity, and you know that you must keep going, that his power reaches in and lifts you up. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. This is not boasting in sin. This is boasting in, praise God, I got to the edge of what I can do, and I still got to keep going. Now is when his power comes in. Now is when I can trust him to make me to do something that I could not do before. Come on now, church. You want great works, don't you? It requires that 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 happens in the area of faith. That happens when you've maxed out your capacity. Look at what it goes on to say. I'll boast more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am delighted with my weakness. Somebody say, I'm delighted with my weakness. I'm delighted in my weakness. You can only say that when you are conquering your off-season. What Abimbola said earlier is we like to be the ones who are strong and helping. We don't like to be the ones who are weak and need help, except that's when the power of God is made manifest. Yeah, come on. That's when the brothers can rush in and help lift that load off of you. Yeah. That's when you receive something more than what you had before, and in the process, you've grown. You've added strength. You've added to your capacity. For the sake of Christ, then, I am delighted with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I'm weak then I am strong. Why? How can you both be weak and strong? You've reached the maximum of your capacity, and then his supernatural capacity comes in and empowers you. A little hint is when you're working out, after a while, you like the feeling of actually getting to the point of maxing your capacity. You start doing it after a while, and you're like, Ah, oh, the bar is not going up anymore. Ah, oh, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep fighting. I need a spotter. Somebody help me. But my brothers spot me in a way that they don't let it go down, but they force me to keep pushing it up. They protect me from hurting myself, but they don't just take it off of me. I still have to push. I'm shaking, I'm trembling, but in that process of pushing beyond my capacity, I'm getting stronger in it, and I love that part of it. See, we got to love, glory, delight in our weakness. Why? Because I found the edge of what I can do. Praise God. At least I wasn't coasting. At least I got to the edge of what I can do. Now God's power can come in. I'm not going to quit. I just need my brothers. I just need the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and take that and help me to become stronger in the process. Are you guys seeing what we're saying today? Look, we have one more passage of Scripture before we close. This is the word that we need. It's not the most polished word, but it is the right word. Somebody say it's the right word. It's the right word. When you are in your off season, you have to practice the fundamentals. When you're in the off season, you have to practice to the maximum of your capacity. I don't think I can do it. Good. Get a brother so you don't get hurt in the process and keep going. Keep going. I don't think I can. Keep pushing. 
And in that moment, at that barrier, his power comes in. How do you think and what do you think has built this church over the years? This principle has built this house. I'm not sure that we can, but God said it, so we're going to keep going. And even if we max out our capacity, we will not stop. And every time, somebody say every time. Every time. God has met us in that moment and done something supernatural. How do you get out of this, the natural? You push to the maximum of your capacity, and his supernatural power comes in. Man, if we can do this, are we going to do this? Every man and woman in this house begins to operate in the supernatural. And you're taking advantage of it even being in the off season. Come on, turn with us to 1 John chapter 5. I love this. I love how fired up Pastor Wade is. He's fired up because he's being moved by the Spirit of God. And he loves you guys. And I love you guys as well. LCM, you are men and women who love the Lord. You are men and women who practice righteousness because you are righteous. And because you are righteous, the righteous overcome. First John just says in verse 3, it says, for this, is love for, of, this is, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory, Marlon Sosa, that has overcome the world, our faith. See, this is the same faith that moves us to practice the fundamentals. The same faith that moves us to push and to max out our ability and our capacity so that we can tap into the all-surpassing power of God. Church, remember, this has nothing to do with your circumstance. If you feel off, Caleb, this has everything to do with who he is. This has everything to do with the one who does not change. Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one who has called you, LCM. He has selected you. He has handpicked you. And he has called you to be his very own. To him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to, and to uh, draw you to himself with glory, with joy. That's the king that we serve. He is the conquering king. And LCM, you have been born of him because you, LCM, are an overcomer. Stand to your feet with us. We found something beautiful in our studies, and it was echoed in multiple places this week. I want, to, I want you to take a look at these two verses, 1 John 5, 3 and 4 in the NET. We're going to just read them again. For this is the love of God. Somebody saying, this is the love of God. Wow. When you're practicing fundamentals, you even begin to learn about his love in a new way. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments do not weigh us down. <laughs> because you've learned how to stay under the weight. You've learned how to practice all the way to max out your capacity. And he is there giving you strength. It doesn't weigh you down. It doesn't burden you down. You actually love the process. Next verse. 
Because everyone who has been fathered by God conquers the world. The way most of our translations say it is those who have been born of God. As we were studying, we realized that that word there could be not only born of God, which does what? It puts the focus on us and our incomplete state. Those who have been born of God, right? We read that and we hear us. Those who have been fathered by God, which puts the emphasis right where it should be, you conquer the world. You want to know what the conquering power is? It's your faith in this process. Church, you have been given the grace of God. You not only can say no to ungodliness and to sin, but you can rise up in zealous good deeds. Church, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are children of God now. So what God is calling us to do today is he's calling you to do two things. Whether your circumstances change or not, so what? The two things that you do are you practice your fundamentals and you practice to max out your capacity. We're going to worship here. We're going to worship wholeheartedly. Look, we're going to go outside and stand in the rain or we can stand here. We are going to engage with the Lord our God. You're going to stand here, David Hall, and you're going to know that you are the righteousness of God now. We're going to commit to practicing righteousness just as we have been, but now we're no longer going to wait and feel like we can't do it, especially on our off days. We're going to engage with this and watch God do something supernatural in this house. Raise your hands to the heavens. Mighty God, we honor you. We love you. We're saying change us, Lord. We're saying help us to practice righteousness because we are righteous. You have made us your children now. We honor you. We stand in faith even now because you have fathered us and we overcome the world.